Thanks, Billy. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, lovely to see you today. A very warm welcome to our service of worship here at Kirkpatrick Memorial as we start out 2022 together on this beautiful, bright, clear day that God has given us. My name is Dan Hayes, and I belong to this group of Jesus followers here in Ballyhackamore, and I'm going to be leading us through our service this morning. Uh, it's great to see you all here today uh, to remember that we're joined as well by those that can't be with us who are at home. Uh, we're thinking of you too, but also great if maybe you haven't been out for a little while or um, if you are not used to being here on a Sunday morning. If you're a visitor, it's particularly great to have you with us. Things are still a little bit different here as they are in many places, uh, but we really hope that you feel that you're amongst friends here this morning and that you get a sense of peace as you're with us. As we embark on this new year together, I would like us to take a moment to pause and to be still, to reorientate and to recalibrate ourselves on Jesus Christ. Jesus who came to liberate and to redeem you and me, to free us and to give us life to the full. To help us to do that this morning, I'm going to begin with a little poem from this book called Rumours of Light by a poet called Gideon Hugh. Um, and in this poem, he speaks of the freedom that is ours in Jesus. The poem is called There You Are. Free from ambition, from the desire to please, free from striving and straining to succeed, Free from the rat race, from the struggle to be first. Free from grasping and clutching at the ego's desperate thirst. Free from vanity, from wearing a false face. Free from image and status and pride's fruitless chase. Free from possessions, from diluting life with stuff. Free from other people saying that you aren't enough. Free from your past, from any bruise or scar. Free from guilt. Free from shame. There you are. So we come this morning not scrabbling around, desperate for ourselves to find a way into heaven, but here to rest in the presence of Jesus, inviting heaven into us, and in that way that we might be a better place to share heaven's light with those around us. Let's stand together as we sing, The Lord's My Shepherd. Uh, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray together. Uh, a time of prayer where we tell God that we love him, uh, that we're thankful, and also where we say that we are sorry. Let's bow and pray together. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Spirit. Good morning, Jesus. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Thank you that as the best of earthly parents... You welcome us as your children this morning. Father God, you have infinite power, unerring wisdom. The wonder and majesty of our God is displayed all around us in the beauty of your creation this frosty winter morning. Our minds can't begin to conceive you. There is no box we can put you in. We can't get above you below you, around you. God, you are limitless. But as we get to know Jesus better, your perfect representation here on earth, we get to know our God better too. In Jesus, we see that you are humble and gentle and patient. In Jesus, we see that you are kind and that your concern is always for the outsider, for the weak, and for the broken. In Jesus, we see that you are a God who cares deeply for those who are suffering emotionally, physically, 
and materially. There is nothing that your eye does not see, and there is no one on whom you do not have compassion. And so we take a moment this morning to say thank you, to rest in you, to remember our blessings, to let gratitude well up, to say thank you. And as we pause to examine our own hearts and minds, we acknowledge that we must also say sorry. For hearts that are still consumed with self rather than full of love for our God and our brothers and sisters, we take a moment to reflect on all that is within us that kicks against your spirit, that resists and refuses to let you lead. Father, we are sorry. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that we are forgiven and free, not in part, but completely, absolutely, beyond any shadow of a doubt, as far as the east is from the west. That is how far you have removed our transgressions from us. Lord, in this quiet moment, we say sorry. Holy Spirit, open our eyes wider. Please penetrate our hearts deeper that we might see and know you more clearly. Know more fully the extravagance of your love. That you might help us to truly love as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I'm just going to move over onto the uh, mic. And uh, at this moment, I'm going to invite L.J. Maltram to come up to the lectern. This is our connecting church slot, and uh, this is this time tomorrow. So I was quite shocked uh, when I thought I've known you, L.J., for 20 <laughs> years. Uh, I didn't. You probably have, yeah. I, I didn't meet you in uh, Kirkpatrick, but L.J. and I met as we started out as junior doctors together in a team in the Belfast City Hospital. 20 years ago in 2002. So I'm giving a little bit away of, of what you might be doing this time tomorrow. Um, but first of all, LJ, could you tell me a little bit about yourself, your family, your relationship to Kirkpatrick, please? So, yeah, I'm LJ Maltram. I am 43 years old as of two days ago. Um, and uh, I am married to Dave. And they're all sitting uh, just over there. And uh, we have four children. Um, so I came to Kirkpatrick, I, we're trying to work that about 15 or maybe even 16 years ago, which is a very long time. Um, I dragged Dave from the metropolis of Bangor up to East Belfast after we got married, and we um, came to Kirkpatrick at that stage. And at that time, we lived in Belmont Park, which is a very, um, which is a Kirkpatrick stronghold, I think I'd probably say, and still is. Um, and so I work as an intensive care consultant um, in the Belfast Trust, um, and I'm also an anaesthetist, but don't really do very much of that job as an anaesthetist anymore because COVID has changed um, what we do, and most of my time is spent in intensive care, as you can probably imagine, uh, and um, my work has uh, changed a lot, let's say, in the last couple of years, not always in ways that I would like it to, but like by everyone else. Um, Dave works uh, in the aircraft manufacturing Industry in Spirit Airlines, formerly known as Bombardier, formerly known as Shorts, and he does bits and bobs with aircraft. I don't really know what Dave does. <laughs> Nobody really knows what Dave does, um, but he goes to work and comes home. And, yeah, uh, and Dave and Kirkpatrick is a BB leader, and we're working south of the night probably for about ten years. You see the BB leader because if you're in our discipleship group and you stand still for long enough, Gareth Walls will recruit you to be a BB leader. I didn't stand still long enough and I got away with it, but uh, yeah. So, and just our children, um, I got them on Friday night to write down a sticky note, something about them that they'd be willing to share with the church. Um, not all of it is readable or shareable, but uh, Fraser is coming 13 in nine days exactly, as Isla pointed out. Um, and he goes to Campbell and he says he likes rugby. Um, Isla is uh, 10, she'll be 11 in March, she goes to Strandtown and she is a very creative 
likes sport, I'm trying to remember what you wrote down, and is highly organised and efficient. Mm. And um, Callum is six, and he goes to Belmont, so yes, that's three different schools, yes, that's complicated, um, and he is generally very happy, even when he had COVID before Christmas, he was generally happy, and Edith is two. So I was on maternity leave during the first wave of, of COVID, and she, um, she's still, Isla's telling me she's still one, and she's two in February. Thank you, Isla, for that reminder. Um, so Edith, what, what does tomorrow look like yeah, for tomorrow, you then? So okay. yes, tomorrow. Well, actually, I'm on call tonight and tomorrow night, so I will be at home tomorrow, this time, to, this time tomorrow. Um, and um, my work uh, is, is just very, very different, to say, all in intensive care. Um, so uh, because I'll have been on call, I'm a bit tired, but uh, we'll be fine with that. Um, and, yeah, my work is incredibly um, privileged work to do what I do, looking after people who are very sick. Um, but at the moment, it's been COVID predominant. So, um, yeah, ICU, a quarter of the ICU at the moment is, is COVID. So that's just different and um, uh, challenging in many ways. Yeah, but it'll be varied tomorrow. I'll end up um, probably resting after being on call and doing a bit of computer stuff for work. And hopefully our childminder comes back from Germany today, so I won't have to look after the children. <laughs> So um, how could we be praying for you, I suppose not just uh, as a doctor, but also yeah. in your family and all the balls that you're juggling at the moment? Yeah, so, um, you know, work-wise, I think, um, I'll maybe come to that in a minute, but I think January is a time, you were saying, it's a time for recalibrating and thinking things through. Um, and as a family, we uh, were thinking about how to just, um, our relationships with each other and how to be more patient with each other at times and, um, you know, how to spend time doing the right kind of things and not things that are not helpful. You know, again, in my job, I meet people who are often maybe at the end of their life or very, very unwell and they never tell me that they wish they'd cleaned their kitchen more or that they wish they had cleaned out their spice drawer more or whatever. And that's exactly what I did yesterday, cleaned out my spice drawer. Why? You know, so I just, that we would not do pointless activities that are not meaningful, I think, you know, for me personally and as a family. Um, and the, I asked specifically the kids what to pray for for them and um, Fraser said to pray that he would grow in his walk with Christ, so I was all happy with that. Um, and Isla is going through the process of kind of AQE transfer to new schools, so for that, for her. And Callum said to pray that we'd be happy in church. Callum's always happy, so that's good. And Edith is just generally bonkers and doesn't really know much about prayer, but uh, um, yeah, she just prayed that she would settle down at some stage for us as a family. So yeah, our relationships with each other, and I think our relationship with God, of course. Um, and that, if that was stronger, I think, for us, our relationship with each other would be better. And our relationship with church, which is a little bit different, I think, in COVID times for everybody. A little bit of a sense of disconnection. Hopefully we can regain that. And then I suppose for work, just that things would settle down, that um, it would get back to normal, but it won't be normal for many, many years. So we just have to accept that, I think. Um, my um, ICU is struggling with staffing. We don't have enough staff. So um, it would be great if we had a few more people around and people who would be willing to stay and work there because it's very tough environment to work in so um yeah mostly those things i think um it's just a bit of stamina to keep going well, that's it really let, let's take away a moment uh, and we'll do that now father god we we thank you for every member of our family here at kirkpatrick uh, this morning we want to focus particularly on Watrams. Uh, lord thank you for lj and for dave thank you for fraser for isla for callum and for edith uh, Lord, I thank you for those wonderful aspirations that they have, that all families would want to have, that uh, they love each other better, uh, that they're more patient with each other, and the time that they spend together is of real quality. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless them uh, with this uh, in the coming months as they try and recalibrate at the beginning of 2022. pray particularly, Lord, for Isla uh, as she gets ready for a change. Lord, we just ask that you would be with her and Lord, uh, as she thinks about what comes next in terms of school, she, she would know, Lord, that you are with her in every step of the way. Father, we pray for LJ as she uh, returns to work. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you've obviously given her of leadership and wisdom and empathy and compassion and drive uh, to get to where she has. Uh, Father, I pray that you would enable her and equip her to continue to be a great leader in the place where she works. Lord, I pray that you would lift up the staff there and keep them going. Lord, 
I pray that for all of them, they would get opportunities to rest and refresh and recharge their batteries. And we pray particularly, Lord, for uh, Christians in that environment, that you would help them to stand up and to shine for Jesus and to encourage others along the way. Uh, Father, we want to thank you for the Mottram family. We thank you that we continue to journey along with them. Lord, would you bless them this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember when we used to do that thing where we all stood outside on a Thursday uh, in the evening and we clapped people who looked after us like LJ? Um, I wonder should we maybe just revive that this morning and we'll give a round of applause for LJ and for our doctors and nurses and teachers and care assistants and and everybody who continues to, to look after. So let's give LJ a round of applause. So as they um, were going to sing all through history, I was about to say as the children leave for Sunday Club, but that's the next service. So if we just stand together and we'll sing all through history. We've got uh, two Bible readings this morning. Um, The first is from Psalm 114, and the second comes from Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 26. Psalm 114. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back, you mountains that you skipped like rams, you hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. And Mark 14, 22 to 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God. Yep, good. Sorry about that, everyone. Well, good morning. Um, The psalm that we've just read together, if you have a device, you may want to have it open in front of you. We're going to be looking at it quite closely this morning. It's a psalm that's about remembering. It's maybe not a psalm that's very familiar to you. I would say that Probably nobody here has heard a sermon on this psalm before, but it's about a story in the Bible that's very familiar with you, uh, the story of Exodus. And it's a psalm that calls Israel to remember this core memory in Israel's story. And I think it's quite appropriate that this psalm, you know, it's a song, a psalm that does that because there's a connection between music and memory, isn't there? How many of you have been in the car and all of a sudden a song comes on the radio and you're suddenly transported back to your youth. Or maybe you're in church and and a hymn that we sing that you haven't sung in a long time brings you back to maybe that church hall where you went to Sunday school and you can almost smell that sort of distinctive aroma that church halls from your childhood seem to have. I know that happens to me. And this psalm calls Israel back to this core memory from its history. But there's something interesting that happens in this psalm. Because this psalm is about remembering, but remembering is not just about the past. In fact, in this psalm, if we look closely, it's about the past, the present, and the future. And so this morning, we're going to think about how we're to remember as Christians, to remember in three dimensions, past, present, and future. That will become clear as we work through the psalm together, but maybe it would help to start with those verses Dan just read from Mark's gospel. Because Jesus met with his disciples, didn't he, to celebrate the Passover meal, to remember that story of Exodus together. 
But there's something interesting about how Jesus remembers Exodus. What did he say? Do this in remembrance of Moses, the Red Sea. No, do this in remembrance of me. You see, Jesus recognizes that this Exodus story isn't just about Israel's past. It also has something to do with the present reality of what God is going to do for his people now through Christ. And then did you pick up at the end of that reading when Dan read there how Jesus talks about this future banquet when he will drink wine again with the disciples? And he's recognizing here that this Passover story has a future dimension to it too. Because this meal is one that will be celebrated together in the kingdom of heaven. Where, as the prophet Isaiah tells us, we will enjoy rich food together and well-aged wine. I love that part of Isaiah. Memory from this little snippet from Mark's gospel tells us that right remembering has this three dimensions to it. Past, present, and future Right remembering must encompass all three. So this morning, we're going to have a close look at Psalm 114 to think about how we can be helped to, re- to remember um, rightly as Christians. Let's start by thinking about the past, how we're to remember the past. I don't know if any of you have seen this television drama. Just put your hand up if you happen to have seen it. No? Yeah, a couple of people have. One of my favorite television dramas of recent years. It was on about three or four years ago. And you might recognize Sean Bean there. Sean Bean plays this urban priest called Father Michael. And Father Michael is quite a selfless person. He spends all of his time tending to the many needs of his parishioners. And there are many of them. But Michael is also struggling with his past with some trauma from his past that he can't quite let go of. And there comes a moment of crisis in the drama when when Michael goes to see his mentor, played by the great Adrian Dunbar. And um, Adrian's character prays a very simple prayer for Michael. Here's what it is. This is Michael Lord. He's a good priest. He's quick to forgive others, but he's slow to forgive himself. He's slow to forgive himself. I'm sure that more than a few of us here can sympathize with Michael. We can be slow to forgive ourselves. We can be slow to let go of some of those things in the past that can still enslave us. But we need to be careful, don't we? Because while salvation surely begins with a recognition of our sin, of our brokenness, well, it doesn't end there. Because to continue to live in the memory of our sin, well, that risks us forgetting the grace of God that brings us new life in the present. I think this is one of the lessons Psalm 114 has to teach us. Right remembering does not enslave us. Right remembering, remembering correctly, is something that should liberate us. Liberate us for the present. Now, as I've already said, this psalm is a psalm about Exodus. It's actually one of a series of psalms known as the Hallel Psalms, okay? Now, these were psalms that were sung at special religious festivals in the life of Israel, most especially at Passover. In fact, this psalm is probably the psalm that Jesus refers to, or that Mark refers to at the end of that passage we read, when we read that the disciples sang a song together. It's quite likely it was Psalm 114. Because of all the psalms in the Hallel, it's this psalm that most directly recalls the Exodus story. You maybe didn't have it in front of you when Dan was reading, but if you look on the screen here, you'll see the first couple of verses. And you'll see how the psalmist very directly summarizes the Exodus story. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. This is a memory of Exodus here, but I wonder, is there something unusual about the way the psalmist remembers here? Let's, let's remember for a second that this is a story of, of enslavement, of brutality under the Egyptian regime. And yet, those details are missing from this remembering here, aren't they? We don't have any mention of the darkness of slavery here. You might think there might be mention of the suffering God's people endured, 
But we don't have any hardships. We don't have a mention of Pharaoh in this memory or his armies. The word slavery doesn't even get a footnote. I find that unusual. But you see, for the psalmist, the the pain of the past isn't important so much as, um, well, there's something else that's important to remember. And what is it that the psalmist remembers? It's the presence of God. Judah became God's sanctuary, we read. Israel, his dominion. You see, the exodus is not remembered so much as a liberation from oppression as the election of God's people, um, the, the people with whom God has chosen to dwell. It's an exodus from a land of, of oppression, but an exodus towards the presence of God with his people. I think that's an important distinction to remember. God's people are called to remember his grace for them in the present, in the past. Now, we see this idea continued throughout the psalm. If you have it in front of you, you can, you can look at it there. You get all the main plot points of that Exodus story told in colorful metaphor. We have the sea looking and then running away, an allusion to the Red Sea, of course. And then we have the Jordan suddenly making an about turn, recalling that miraculous entry into the promised land. But again, all of this remembering has a God focus to it. What's important here for the psalmist is not so much the miraculous escape from Egypt or the equally miraculous entry into Canaan, but that these, what these moments say about the God who performs these miracles. See, what I'm trying to say here is that these memories of miracle are to remind Israel that God is with them. That's the thing they're to remember about their past. Now, if we're honest, this sort of God-orientated remembering is not easy for us. We are a broken people. Our past very often lays a greater claim on our lives than we would like to admit. But I think this psalm teaches us that there's a way for us to remember the past that brings us life rather than death. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, says the Lord. I will not remember your sins. This is what I think Psalm 114 is trying to teach us. There are things in the past that are good for us to remember. And sometimes there are things that are good to forget. So that's the challenge this morning. What is it we're called to remember in our lives? And what is it that God wants us to forget? Because we're to be God-orientated in our remembering too. We're to hold on to the good and the bad within the overarching memory of God's grace and his abiding presence with us. That's the first lesson, remembering the past. What about the present? Well, when we're not watching churchy dramas in our house, we're, we're maybe watching a Pixar film. And I'm sure more of you have seen this than the Sean Bean drama. This is one of our favorite Pixar movies, Inside Out. Um, If you've got young kids, you probably know the story. It's about this young girl called Riley. And really the drama plays out inside Riley's head, where the main characters of the film are these five emotions. You've got joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. And it's the job of these emotions to manage Riley's memories not least the core memories that shape who Riley is as a person. Now, the crisis of the film is that as Riley starts to grow up and as she enters into adolescence and some of these emotions become more dominant than others, her core memories start to change, or at least how she holds those memories start to change. Core memories that were dominated by joy all of a sudden get touched by sadness and they're remembered differently. And then Riley's identity changes as a result. The the psalm we've been reading, as we said, is about Israel's core memory. But there's something really interesting about this. Because this memory was told at a time of dark night of memory for God's people. Because this psalm, as most scholars seem to agree, was written after the exile to Babylon in 586 B.C., A time when all of those certainties seemed to crumble for Israel. When they were cast out of the promised land, 
when the very temple itself, the place that was meant to be a symbol of God's presence with them, well, the walls had crumbled. And yet into this dark night of memory, Israel is called to remember Exodus and the message that God is with, was with his people. Now, there's a really interesting thing if you look closely at this, and this is where the literary geek in me comes out. But I'm interested in those first couple of verses again, if we put them on the screen, Noah. Because there's something here about how the psalmist describes or Egypt, described here as a people of a strange language. Now, if you're like me and you like to get into kind of the language of the text here, you'll realize that this phrase is actually quite commonly used to describe Babylon, but it's not so commonly used to describe Egypt. A strange language was to to represent the Babylonian occupation, that God's people find themselves in this alien culture with alien traditions. And so what the psalmist is doing here is saying that by remembering oppression in Egypt, God's people are in fact remembering their present circumstance in Babylon. The psalmist calls Israel to remember that even under the shadow of another oppressor, even when the temple walls have crumbled, God's presence endures with his people. I've mentioned um, the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer a couple of times in recent months. I'm sure you know by now that Bonhoeffer was one of the founders of the Confessing Church in Germany. Uh, And like so many who took a stand against Hitler and the Nazis, he ended up in a concentration camp. And in fact, Bonhoeffer was executed just a couple of months before the end of the war. As he was approaching his death, Bonhoeffer wrote a poem that's become quite famous, a poem in which he grapples with his identity. It's called, Who Am I? Let me read just a couple of lines to you. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others and before myself, a contemptibly woe-begone weakling. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Bonhoeffer had to face doubts and fears in circumstances we can only imagine. But though we can't share in his experience, I think we can learn from his example. Because Bonhoeffer was sustained not by his own strength, his personal courage, although he had lots of that. He was sustained by the identity-shaping memory of God's abiding presence in his life. You know, I think we all need to hold on to those core memories of God's grace, even when they're tinged with sadness by the present. Because in times of difficulty, when our identities are challenged, that's when we need to remember. This is what Psalm 114 is about. It's about right remembering of the past that's God-orientated, and it's about right remembering of the present that allows the memory of God's grace to sustain us in the now. So we've had the past, the present, and very briefly, remembering the future, which maybe sounds like an oxymoron. Psalm 114, you might have noticed when we we read it together, ends with this command for the whole earth to tremble at the presence of the Lord and what God has done for Israel. Uh, The theologian Walter Brueggemann, writing about this, calls this the climactic remembering of the psalm, that though these miracles were particular for Israel, they actually have a universal and an eternal reach. He picks up on that image of the sea turning back, and he says that everything here depends on the Lord's capacity to turn. The Lord is the one who turns mourning into dancing, who turns sadness to joy, who turns death to life, who turns slavery to freedom. You see, in this sense, Psalm 114 points the way to the future of the whole of creation when God will turn death into life. It has what we might call a future memory 
as contradictory as that might sound. And you see, I think when, when Christ led his disciples in the singing of this psalm, it was as if he were saying to them, sing this in remembrance of me. Because do you notice what happens here at the end of this psalm? Let's have a look at that last verse with Jesus in our memory and see if it changes how you read them. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a spring of water. I don't know about you, but when I read these words with Jesus as my memory, they become a poetic retelling of his death and crucifixion. When, as we read in Matthew's gospel, the earth shook, the rocks were split, and even the Roman soldiers declared, truly this was the Son of God, Lord present with us. You see, I think whether this psalmist knew it or not, by remembering Exodus, in a strange, mysterious way, he was remembering Easter. For Christ is the one who once and for all turns back the tides of death. The one who breaks the stone of the tomb to bring living waters of God to all who believe. That's what we mean when we talk about Christian hope. We use that word a lot, don't we? But hope isn't just crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Hope for Christians is the sense that we are to live in anticipation of a future that has already been achieved. Remembering the past, remembering the present, remembering the future, this psalm calls us to do all these three things as we remember rightly. It reminds us that our identity, our past, our present, our future lives are shaped by the memory of the God who dwells with us. The God who delivers us from the bondage of slavery. The God who offered himself to the world on the cross. It reminds us that right remembering must be God-focused. That right remembering brings us rejuvenation and new life in the present. And that right remembering points us to a future hope. Well, I could end there, but I want to bring us back to the beginning. Because at the start, I talked about the importance of music in this remembering, didn't I? And to do that, to help you see that, I want to introduce you to someone. And maybe you've, you've come across this person before. Her name is Marta Gonzalez. You'll see her on the screen here. And as you can see from this picture, Marta Gonzalez was a ballet dancer. In fact, she was the first dancer of the New York Ballet in the 1960s. Now, Marta died in 2019 after suffering for many years with Alzheimer's disease. Now, Alzheimer's, as we know, is a disease that robs us of our identity because it takes our memories captive. But you know, something remarkable happened to Marta when she listened to familiar music from her youth, Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, in her instance. I want you to watch this little clip now, and as you do, think to yourself, what's the music? What are those songs that speak to your core memory? that make you sing and help you to remember who you are. Let's have a look at this clip together.
powerful. Swan Lake may not mean something to you, but I hope that after today, Psalm 114 will be a song that makes you dance, that reminds you of what your identity is. Because it's not a song just about Israel's past, it's a song about the church's present and its future. Though it's a song of Exodus, it's a song of Easter. And when we sing this song, we do so remembering in remembrance of the one in whom our past, our present, and our future is bound up. We do so to remember that we're part of a story, a story that binds us in sacred memory of the God who holds all our past pains, all our present concerns, and all our future joy in his eternal gaze. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to sing a song now that reminds us of that together. Um, God's faithfulness in the past, the present, and in years to come. Let's stand and sing, Faithful One. It's the time of our service uh, where we pray for others. Um, So we're going to bow our heads, and uh, in particular, uh, we're going to be thinking about uh, the nation of Kazakhstan um, and the unique connection that some folks in our congregation have with that country. Let's pray. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. Father, thank you for this picture of your care and concern, knowing us and watching over us as a shepherd knows and looks after each individual in his flock. We begin our prayers for others in the small circle the things we need for ourselves, in our family, our friends, our church family, where there's sickness, material need, spiritual healing required, eyes that need to be opened. Father, we take a moment in the quietness to bring to you those in our small circle where we long to see you act. Have mercy, Lord. Provide their daily bread. Shepherd these people. Now we move the circle out uh, to the needs of our community, our schools, our hospitals, our government leaders, local and national. In the quietness, we bring the needs that we know to our Father who hears us. Have mercy, Lord. Provide their daily bread. Shepherd these people. And now we move the circle out wider again and we think of distant lands of Afghanistan and Yemen, of Lebanon, and this week, Kazakhstan, as it has come onto our horizons. We thank you for the special connection that this congregation has with the nation of Kazakhstan. We thank you for Mark and Caroline and the work that they do 
We thank you that they have connected and they, they know that their teams are safe and well, that they are in good spirits. We pray for wisdom in this situation. We pray for restraint from the government. We pray for peace and that you would lift up our brothers and sisters in that land. Have mercy, Lord. Provide their daily bread. Shepherd these people. Lord, you spoke all things into being, and you call us to speak your truth in our corner of the world here in Ballyhackamore. Help us to speak aloud as we have been spoken to. As we go out, may we know deep, deep in our hearts that you are with us as we speak and as we act and as we make our way in this world. Help us to be catalysts of your kingdom coming, of your will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. Grant that we each would hear that still small voice directing us, telling us this is the way. Walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite Dave Rainey to come and uh, share some announcements. Thanks, Dan, and good morning. It's been great to worship with you this morning. I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to highlight some events in church life over the next few weeks. So first is the men's Bible study. It begins this Wednesday, the 12th at 8 in the Forbes Hall. We'll be running over the next seven weeks with a one-week break for half term, and we're going to be studying Paul's letter to the Philippians. As well as studying Philippians, we'll have a chance to hear from some men in the church and also get to know each other a bit better. On Wednesday night, Monty is going to introduce Philippians to us. We'll be studying the first 11 verses of chapter 1, and Brian Carson will be doing a quiz. So please do take a look at those 11 verses before you come along. We're really excited about this new ministry. I'm pleased to say that we already have over 30 people signed up, and please do come along. Those who have signed up are across all ages. The event is for men of all ages. So please do sign up on Church Suite and come along, and I'll look forward to seeing you then. Turning then to the women, on Saturday the 19th of February, there's a Rooted Together event in the church, so please do hold that date in your diary. That event will be followed by six weeks of women's Bible study starting in March, also looking at Philippians, and more details of both of those will follow. As we do something different with Bible study this term, our discipleship groups are going to look a bit different. Paul did a great job in the weekly email this week of explaining what our discipleship groups are for. So in our DGs, we do four things, prayer, Bible study, pastoral care, and fellowship. So this term in discipleship groups, whilst we do something a wee bit different with Bible study, the three other elements will continue. So we will continue to meet for prayer, for encouragement, and to enjoy life together. And your DG leaders will be in touch around what the plans are for your group. As always, if you'd like to join a discipleship group and you're not in one, please do get in touch with the church office. Let me quickly mention three other things. The opening meeting of the Friendship Club is on Tuesday. Uh, Getting off to a good start is a theme that will take place in the Forbes Hall at 3 p.m. Jim Campbell is speaking and there'll be light refreshments at that. Next is another new thing for Kirkpatrick Cafe Questions. So after each of our carol services, we had some a space in the Whitley Hall for people to come and ask questions about what it means to follow Jesus, to be a Christian. We intend to do something different this Thursday night. Um, same idea, but in Cafe Nero at half past seven. So if you'd like to find out a bit more about what it means to follow Jesus or be a Christian, come along on Thursday to Cafe Nero. And if you have a friend or a family member who'd like to do the same, bring them too. There's no need to book, but if you are intending to come, it would be great if you could let the team know through the church office. And finally, Graham Kennedy will be installed as minister of this church on Friday the 21st of January. 
That's a service, a formal service, uh, undertaken by East Belfast Presbytery, and it will be here in the church. We're keen to accommodate as many people who want to come along to that as possible, but due to the nature of the service, the spaces will be limited. Um, It's likely to be very well attended, and you may, if you come along, be seated in an overflow in the Forbes Hall. If you would like to attend, please sign up on Church Suite as normal. The service will, of course, be live streamed through YouTube as well. Graham will then preach his first sermon on Sunday, the 23rd of January. Thanks for sticking with me with those, and Dan, back to you. Thank you, Dave. Um, We'll close our service together this morning by standing to sing All I Once Held Dear. So it just remains to say thanks to our musicians, to Paul, to the folk who welcomed us this morning and are looking after our, our sound and vision. As you go out from here, may you be strengthened by the God who has been faithful through the generations and keeps his promises. As you go out from here, may you be comforted by the God who is present. He has lived among us and will be with you in the moment. As you go out from here, may you be hopeful because God has promised that the best is yet to come. Go to love and serve in Jesus' name. Amen.